I am really, really excited about this brand new series as we are preparing our hearts to celebrate Easter this year, as we're preparing our hearts to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If, if you would have told me a year ago that we would not have been able to gather together last year to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, I wouldn't have believed you. It's still kind of hard to wrap my mind around the fact that that happened. Have you ever had someone tell you a story that just seemed kind of implausible? And maybe someone else, maybe a couple other friends, they said, no, no, it's true. We saw, we, they validated what was being said. You're like, I don't know. I have no reason to doubt you guys. I just, that just really seems unlikely. I had that experience personally when I look back on what happened on September 11th. I don't know what that experience was like for those of you who are alive and, and uh, you watched that all unfold. I'm sure you remember where you were and what you were doing. I can remember I was at a pastor's retreat at our camp, Camp Manawagon, and one of the cooks that was there that weekend came up and kind of had this flushed look on her face and said, our country is under attack, and no, that's not possible. And then another pastor confirmed, yes, something's going on, I don't know what, but we need to go in and, and, and watch this. And it wasn't until I saw with my own eyes, I watched these things unfold, that I allowed myself to believe that it was actually happening. You've heard that old phrase, seeing is believing. What if what if we lived in a world where we didn't have video evidence for everything? And we do nowadays with cell phones and security cameras. But imagine, I know it's kind of hard if you're living in a world where there's technology of airplanes, but how could you not have this uh, video evidence? But let's just try for the sake of the illustration, imagine that there's no video evidence of what happened on September 11th. And someone came to you and said, listen, Things are bad. There were these hijackers, and they got a hold of some planes, and they crashed them into the World Trade Towers and, and the Pentagon. There's one that crashed out in this field in Pennsylvania, and I, I think that the passengers must have overcome them and, and brought the plane down. It's crazy. No video evidence. What is it that would cause you to believe that that was true? How could you know for sure that what they're saying is true? Well, at that time, you could, you could physically go to those places. Even if there wasn't all this video evidence of it, you could go to those places and you could see for yourself and you could talk to actual witnesses who, who uh, were part of those terrible days. I actually had the opportunity to, to, to do that in some way. I, I, was, uh, I was in New York before the attack. I saw the towers. They existed. And I was there after the attack. I saw the hole in the ground. I saw... Uh, as they were digging out the, the foundation. I saw that with my own eyes. I uh, had the opportunity to go to the Pentagon a couple years ago, and I, uh, one of the people that was there that day gave us a tour and got to talk and, to him directly and hear his story of what he actually saw and experienced. Seeing is believing. But what if I told you this? What if I told you, that someone that we know, someone that we know, is they died, and I came to you and said, you're not going to believe this. this. I know it sounds crazy, but you know that person that we know that's dead? Yeah, they're not dead. They're alive. 
And I'm not talking about like, you know, ghost floating around kind of thing. I mean, flesh and bone for sure alive. You think maybe, even if you're like, I have no reason to doubt you. I have no reason not to believe you. You've, you've, you've never lied to me before as far as I know, but man, that's hard to believe. As we get ready to celebrate Easter, as we get ready to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, I think we first need to make sure we don't overlook the fact that for a resurrection to be something that is true, something that has power and meaning, something that has reality attached to it, we have to first deal with the reality that Jesus actually died and let that sink into our hearts and minds. You can't have a resurrection if it's not first preceded by death. Otherwise, it's just a recovery from injury. Jesus died. And as we let that reality sink in, we have to maybe go to the next question, well, why did he die? And I, I'm, I know that most of the people probably in the room understand the significance or the story of, of, of his death, but let's not assume that everybody does. Why did he die? Did he, did he get sick? Did he, did he grow old? Well, no. Jesus died on the cross. He was executed with nails in his hands and in his feet. The, the crucifixion is one of uh, where you suffocate to death, and there was a spear in his side, and he was a uh, crown of thorns on his head and beaten with whips and spit on. It was, it was a torturous experience. That's how Jesus died. But there's a deeper why question that we also need to answer. When we talk about why, yes, physically we know why he died. Uh, it was because of the cross. But I want you to listen to these passages of Scripture. They'll be on the screen. You can read along. Here's the deeper why as to why Jesus died. 1 Peter 2.24 says this, He Himself, Jesus, bore our sins. That's your sin. That's my sin. Bore our sins in His body on the tree, on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness by His wounds, we have been healed. In other words, He is a substitute sacrifice for what you and I deserve. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous, that's Jesus, for the unrighteous, that's you and me, to bring you to God. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He stood in our place. 1 Timothy 2, 5, There's one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all men. See, without the cross, without his blood, without his death, not only is there no resurrection, there's no hope of being made right with God. There's, there's no hope of eternal life. Thomas knew for sure that Jesus was dead. That he could verify. What he struggled to believe was that Jesus came back to life. He had no real reason to doubt his friends, but he struggled with it. And let's just start with his story. Would you open your Bibles in John chapter 20 
as you find verse 19 of John chapter 20, the resurrection story begins in verse 1. It's early Sunday morning. These, these women go to the tomb, and the grave is empty. The stone's been rolled away, and, and they run back, and they tell uh, Simon and, and, and the disciples, and Simon and John take off for the tomb, and yeah, sure enough, it's, it's empty. They're not sure really what to do with all of it, but verse 19 of John 20 says this, That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They, they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they're forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. And they told him what happened. We've seen Jesus. Now imagine that conversation. We've seen Jesus. We, we've talked with him. We saw the wounds in his hands. We saw the wound in his side. He's alive. Thomas replied, No, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, unless I put my fingers into them and, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Unless I see, unless I touch, I will not believe. I think when I see Thomas in heaven, I really want to hear this story from him firsthand. I want to hear his perspective. I want to, I want to listen to the way that he tells it. My suspicion is, after hearing Thomas uh, tell this story from his perspective, I, I think I'm going to say, you know what, Thomas, I get it. I, I really do. The same guys that told you that they saw Jesus alive, they believed because they saw Jesus alive. They saw the things that you wanted to see. Except for John, in verse 8, this is amazing, verse 8, same chapter, the disciple John who had reached the tomb first, he went in to the empty tomb. He saw the empty tomb. He saw the slab, the grave closed. No Jesus, but he believed. <laughs> but verse 9 says that none of them, even though John saw the empty tomb and believed, none of them, he says in verse 9, they, they didn't, they didn't uh, expect this to happen. When he ran to the tomb, it's not like he was going there expecting it in the morning to happen. The women went to the tomb that morning, not expecting to find Jesus alive. The disciples locked behind, this, uh, behind doors in this room, not expecting Jesus to show up. So for Thomas to hear his friends say, Jesus is alive, yeah, it would have been a lot to take in. It would have been a lot to process in that moment. I went to Red Lobster recently with my two oldest kids, and they've changed the menu around, which a lot of restaurants have done, and they don't have their full menu. And uh, one of the changes that they made that I didn't know about was it used to be you could get uh, the salad came with the yummy biscuits, right? And that's just kind of always how it was. Well, they changed that, so now the salad is one of the side dish choices if you want it. So I didn't know this. So I'm, I'm ordering my meal, 
and uh, she kind of skipped over that first part of the salad. And I want a salad, and uh, now it's hitting me. Oh, it's it's uh, it's a side dish choice. So now I got to rearrange what I was planning to do. And, and then we got to the dressing choice, and they got rid of the dressing that I always get. And she's going down through the list of dressings. They're all gross. I don't want any of those dressings. And so my brain started just firing all of these questions. Why would you do this to me? I don't want any of these choices. Why would you take it from here to there? I don't get it. And so all of this stuff is bouncing through my brain, and I froze. And I just sat there, and the waitress is like, what do you want? And for like 15 seconds, I did this. Nothing. I just sat there in silence, and it was super awkward for everyone. And, and, uh, and my, my two kids, you know, they're sitting across watching this all happen, and they're like, did dad just have a stroke? Should we check him for a pulse? What is happening? It was all over a salad. My brain couldn't process these changes that were happening all at once, and it was just over a salad. So I, I can kind of understand when Thomas walks into the room and everyone's like, Jesus is alive. I get why it took a minute for him to think about it, process it, and like, wait a minute. Wow. Actually, it took him a bit longer than a minute. If you go back to verse 26, it says eight days later. A week later, the disciples were together again. And at this time, Thomas was with them. The doors are locked. And suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Now, picture this. Verse 27. He says to Thomas, now in order to do what he's about to do, say what he's about to say, it can't be from across the room. This has got to be one of those moments where Jesus appears, he locks eyes with Thomas and walks right up to him and gets close enough where they can touch one another. It has to be that. Look, he says to Thomas, put your finger here. That can't happen from across the room. This has got to be right up, face to face. Put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. And then he says, don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Thomas does. He says in verse 28, my Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Jesus told him, Thomas, you believe because you've seen me. Seeing is believing. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. So Thomas saw, and he believed because he saw with his own eyes. He was able to touch Jesus and verify what the, what the disciples had said. But I think it's important that as we watch Thomas go from doubting disciple to uh, this faithful believer, we need to make sure that we define the word believe. We need to define the word believer because a believer is not just someone who believes a set of facts about the death and resurrection of Jesus. James tells us this in James 2.19. He says, you, you believe that God exists. That's good. So do the demons. Satan and all of his demons know for sure that Jesus died on the cross. They know for sure the fact that he rose from the dead. To believe in Jesus, to be 
a believer in Jesus means that a person not just believes the historical record of Jesus' death and resurrection, but believes that His death and resurrection are the means by which our sins are forgiven, by which we are made right with God, by which we are given eternal life. A believer is someone who trusts by faith in who Jesus is as the Son of God and what Jesus did for us through His death and resurrection. That's a very different kind of believer than someone who just believes in the accuracy of the historical record. You know, there are some people that do not believe that, that we actually went to the moon. There are people who, who do not believe that the Holocaust ever happened. There are people who do not believe the, uh, the official uh, story of what happened on 9-11, right? There are people that just reject these things. Imagine for some reason that it became against the law to believe in the moon landing. Imagine it became against the law to believe in the Holocaust, in, in the historical event of the Holocaust. Imagine if you were caught up, uh, you, know, you, you got caught promoting such ideas, and because you were caught promoting the truth of the moon landing, or you're caught telling people about the Holocaust, that you were arrested because of that, and, and maybe put in prison, maybe even executed for poisoning our culture with your disinformation and your lies. I know it's a stretch to believe that, but it happened. But imagine that it did. Would you be willing to go to prison over your belief in the moon landing? Think about it. I mean, if that happened and someone said, uh, you, either, you either deny the, the, the moon landing ever happened or we're putting you in prison. If you would say, yeah, I would be willing to go to prison and die over my belief in the moon landing, I just want to say I will visit you in prison. I will not sign up to be your cellmate. I don't care that much. I believe we landed on the moon. I believe the Holocaust took place. I'm not going to prison or dying because of those things. If they say, sign here that says you don't believe in these things, fine. Fake news, sign me up. I don't believe it. I don't care that much. But believers in Jesus Christ all over the world are willing to be put in prison. They're willing to be stoned. They're willing to die for their faith in Jesus. If they are told, you either deny that, that you believe that Jesus is God, you either deny that you believe that He died on the cross and rose for your sin, you deny all of that, or we're going to put you in prison, we're going to beat you, we're going to chop your head off, well, all of these terrible things that actually happen, and there's people that do it. They're willing to be persecuted, they're willing to go to prison, they're willing to die for their belief. That's a believer. And that day that Thomas moved from this doubting disciple to a faithful believer, everything changed for him. He, he actually took the, the gospel of Jesus Christ all the way to India and died as a martyr. They ran a spear through him. 
because he was a believer in Jesus. So if I were to ask you, are you a believer? Understand that I'm asking you are more than do you believe this, the historical record that Jesus actually died and that he actually rose from the dead? Because the vast majority of scholars, history scholars, even ones that are atheists, even ones that are resurrection skeptics, believe in the historical record of Jesus' death and the empty tomb. Satan and all of his demons are quite confident that Jesus died and that he rose from the dead. So when I ask you, are you a believer, what I'm asking is more than do you believe the set of facts. I'm, believe, I'm asking, do you, do you believe and, and are trusting in Jesus as your forgiver of sin? your Savior from hell? Is He the King of your life? And would you be willing to go to prison? Would you be willing to die for that belief? If someone said to you, deny this or die, do you really believe? Listen, when they're done removing Dr. Seuss off of our shelves, when they're done with that because it's so offensive, they're coming after this. Do you understand that this book is way more offensive to sin than any Dr. Seuss book that has ever been written? You get that, right? When they're done with Dr. Seuss and they come after this and they come after us, will you still believe? Will you still believe that what is recorded for us is true? Will you still believe enough to be a follower of Christ unashamed? To live a Jesus-centered life? You say, yes, absolutely. I believe. Listen to what Jesus said about you. He says to Thomas, you believe because you saw. But blessed are those who have not seen me and yet still believe. Everyone in this room, everyone watching this online who is a genuine believer in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for your salvation, for the source of that heart-level transformation that takes place in us. Jesus says, you're blessed. Well, why are we blessed? You're blessed for believing, even though that believing was, was not uh, attached to seeing. You and I weren't there 2,000 years ago. We didn't see any of these things take place firsthand. And yet we believe, and so we are blessed. And when you hear the word blessed, I don't want you to hear the word better. because That's not what I said. We're not better than the doubter. We're just as much a sinner in need of a Savior as the doubter is. We're just blessed. We're not, we're not better than the doubter. We are blessed because of God's grace. And that grace is received through faith, through believing in Jesus, as our forgiver, as our Savior, as our King. So then what could we say to the doubter this morning that would, that would move someone's heart from doubter to believer? Well, first I would say this, I get it. I, I really do understand why you would have questions and why you perhaps would struggle with doubt about the story of His death and resurrection. I, I get that. I think that's a human response to something that that sounds implausible. It's a human response to something that sounds too good to be true. 
You know, Thomas spent three years with Jesus and, and, and watched Jesus do miracle after miracle. He watched Jesus give sight to someone who's blind. He watched Jesus uh, restore the ability to walk to someone who's paralyzed and, and calm the storm at sea with just the words, be still. He watched Jesus raise some people from the dead. Jairus' daughter and Lazarus, he watched all these things. He was a, he was a witness of them. And he still struggled to believe. So if you have some doubts about Jesus that you just can't seem to shake, I first would say I get it. But I also want to offer you three simple facts from history that I'm hoping and praying will move your heart from doubter to believer. I can't transport you and I back 2,000 years ago. I can't take you back to these moments and be an eyewitness with you, but I can take you back to the record of those who were 2,000 years ago. This is a record of those who saw it firsthand. Three simple facts from history that I think are pretty powerful. Here's the first one. The first one is that Jesus' disciples believed in the death and resurrection of Jesus in the way that we just talked about. You say, well, that's kind of a, uh, an underwhelming reason. It's kind of underwhelming evidence. I want you to think of it like this. Anyone can claim anything. Anyone can claim anything. I could stand here this morning and claim that I was abducted by a Martian named Festus, and, and the Martian took me to the spaceship and uh, challenged me to a really tense game of Monopoly. And we played this tense game of Monopoly, and the fate of the world was dependent upon who won the game of Monopoly. And thankfully, I won. And none of you were vaporized, so you're welcome. Anyone can claim anything. The disciples claimed that Jesus died and rose from the dead. They claimed to be eyewitnesses of this. Well, okay, they can claim that, but we can actually see the evidence of their belief in their lives. These people were willing to be persecuted. They were willing to be put in prison. They were willing to die for what they believed, and people don't do that for something they know to be a lie, something that they made up. Terrorists may uh, be willing to die and fly a plane into a building for something that actually is a lie, but they don't believe it to be a lie. You don't, you don't die for something that you are the one who made up, that you know for sure is a lie. You're not going to do that. And so we look at their lives and we see how they were willing to die for what they claimed they believed. That's pretty strong evidence. Here's the next thing. Think about the conversion of Paul. Paul was not just a doubter. He was a very vocal and, and violent persecutor of Christians, of those who said that they believed in the death and resurrection of Jesus as, uh, for their salvation. He, he, he went and, and tracked people down and put them in prison. People died. So you cannot claim that Paul was this friend of Jesus that was so overcome with grief over the, over the crucifixion that he had an hallucination just wanting Jesus to be alive. That doesn't make any sense. That accusation gets placed against the disciples, but you can't put that on Paul. 
So how do you explain someone like Paul who goes from this, this persecutor of Christians to someone who not only uh, becomes a missionary for the gospel of Jesus Christ, but he himself was willing to be uh, put in prison. And he himself was willing to be executed for faith in Jesus. How do you explain that except that the story that he told about his conversion is true, that he actually did see Jesus, the risen Jesus, and that transformed his life. It's the most plausible explanation. Here's the third thing, third simple fact. The, the tomb of Jesus was empty. Not every history scholar believes in the resurrection. But most scholars will not dispute the tomb was empty. And there's reasons for that. Three, three quick reasons why even those uh, in, in academia that don't believe in the resurrection will not deny the tomb was empty. Number one is what they call the Jerusalem factor. The Jerusalem factor is this. Jesus was publicly executed. People saw him die. He was buried in Jerusalem. This all happened in Jerusalem. And then the report of his resurrection was reported in the same city. It would be super easy to hear what was being said on the day of Pentecost. Right? You have all you got thousands of people that believe the message of the gospel of Jesus is alive. It would have been super easy to say, you know what? No, I was just down the street, the body's still there. If the body of Jesus was still in the tomb, why, how do you explain thousands of people believing the gospel message that, he, that he's not in the tomb? It's too easy to go. Look, look at this uh, passage, if you want, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'll read it to you. Paul says this in verse 3, I passed on to you what was most important, what had also been passed on to me. Here's the gospel. Christ died for our sins. Didn't just die. There was a reason why He died. He died as a substitute sacrifice for our sins, just as the Scriptures said. He was buried and He raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. And after that, He was seen by more than 500 of His followers at one time. Between now and Easter Sunday... You will hear or you will see an article at some point uh, on the Discovery Channel, the History Channel, a network uh, special. You will hear someone say that their explanation for this was a mass hallucination. You'll hear someone say it, and when you hear it, you will know that this person is a liar who doesn't know what they're talking about. Because that's not how hallucinations work. Hallucinations are personal. They're like dreams. If I'm having a dream, and it's a wonderful dream, and I wake up from this wonderful dream, and I say to my wife, I just had the most amazing dream. Please, come and join me in my dream. That's not how dreams work. It's not how hallucinations work. They are personal. There's no such thing as a mass hallucination. So when you hear that, and you will, you'll know this person is a liar. 500 of his followers saw Jesus alive at one time. And it says here, most of them are still alive. In other words, you can go talk to them. You want to go talk to eyewitness testimony people? They're still alive. Go talk to them. Investigate for yourself. He was seen by James, later by all the apostles. Last of all, he says, he appeared to him, to Paul. 
it would have been just way too easy to investigate these claims and prove them to be untrue. Another factor of why we know the tomb was empty is that the enemy admitted it. What did the enemies of Jesus say in response to the tomb was empty? Well, they made up a story, right? They made up a story said the disciples stole his body. Well, if the body's still in the tomb, if the tomb's not empty, why would you say that? That would be stupid. The enemy themselves admitted that the tomb was empty. That's pretty powerful evidence that we've got an empty tomb. The third piece of evidence historically is that the, 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 the women are recorded, their testimony is recorded for us. Now, in today's world, so what? In the first century, in Jewish and Roman culture, that would have been a big deal because the testimony of a woman in the first century was not looked at as credible. And so if you were trying to fool people into believing a lie, if you were trying uh, to come up with some kind of story, well, you're not going to say that uh, these, these ladies are the ones that found the empty tomb first, that these ladies are the ones who talked to the angel and had this interaction, because it would not have helped you tell a story in a credible way. The only reason why that would have been recorded in the first century is because it actually happened, because that's what actually took place. Three simple facts that you can see from history, and these things in, in, in real time in the first century are the kind of things that moved people's hearts, like Thomas from Doubter, to believer that Jesus is the one who died on the cross as a payment for sin and rose from the dead. Thomas's life was transformed by this belief. And so maybe it, instead of saying that seeing is believing, maybe it's better to say that, that believing is actually seeing. Seeing why it is that Jesus calls the believer blessed. That brings us back to you brings us back to the question, are you a believer? And I'm not asking you if you are an acceptor of the historical record. I'm asking you if you are a heart-changed, life-transformed, unashamed, unafraid of what people will say or do because of your belief in Jesus, because you believe this life is temporary and you believe that Jesus assures eternal life for you on the other side of this life, are you a believer? And if you're waiting for Thomas, for what Thomas was waiting for, to remove your doubts, then I'm afraid that when that happens, it's going to be too late. Because if you are someone who, who chooses not to believe this side of the grave, then when you do see Jesus, it'll be at the judgment seat and it'll be too late. It's okay that you've got good questions. It's okay that you struggle with doubt. When you look at the interaction between Jesus and Thomas, Jesus came back a week later just to interact with Thomas. And when he interacted with him, it was with love and grace. It wasn't disrespectful. It wasn't condescending. It's also important to know that Jesus said, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And that can be you. You can be blessed. Just believe. 
If you are a believer, then I'm going to ask you this question. Who are you sharing your faith with? Talk about what we want to be or who we want to be as a church every week. We want to be a church that helps people live a Jesus-centered life. Well, how does that happen? What happens when, when people meet Jesus and they learn how to follow Jesus, right? We stick it up on the wall. It's there for a reason. But those, those two things, meet and follow Jesus, aren't going to happen if we aren't sharing our faith in Jesus. And it's okay that the people that you know, your friends and your family members, your coworkers, it's okay that they have questions. It's okay that they have doubts. We just are called to be prepared to give them an answer for our hope in Jesus. Peter tells us that when we interact with people, do it with gentleness, do it with respect, but be prepared. Be prepared to share your faith with people and let them know that believing is really seeing. Seeing what it is to be blessed by God. 